after leaving the first Apostolic Lutheran Church, and at that time when I left, I didn't know about the fourth commandment. I didn't understand um, the truth about the fourth commandment, that Sunday is just a tradition, and it's of man, it's not of God. You know, worshiping on Sunday, that is. There was a time, like I said before, that I was not attending a church. But in the fall of 2019, I started attending a Baptist church. And this was um, Bethany Baptist Church, for those who are familiar, in Dollar Bay. I started attending that church for a while. And this, to me, was exciting. And it was new. And it was I was hearing things that I never heard before. And it was so encouraging. And I was learning more. And I was oh, just so encouraged by what I was hearing. Because people, like, the, the pastor is actually, you know, talking about the Bible. And, and saying it in a way that I could understand and resonate with. And I was, you know, it was encouraging. It was exciting. And still during this time, I never stopped digging into the Bible. I never stopped reading the scriptures. I never stopped asking for help of understanding God's word. I kept reading and reading and studying and digging. And the verse that was sticking that was sticking out to me during this time, what I was really encouraged by, Proverbs 25, 2, says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. So I was searching out a matter in my Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I was so excited just continually reading the word and getting into it and still growing and still still will be growing for you know every single day until the return of Christ. But I was just growing and learning so much. And I, you know, I start to meet Christian families in the Baptist church and just families in general. And I was, you know, growing those relationships. And I truly believed I was supposed to be at this Baptist church. I was, you know, at first I was, wow, this is great. You know, God led me here and I was so excited. Um, and while, but while I was uh, attending this church and I was in total probably at this church for maybe about a half a year, a little under half a year, maybe four or five months, some somewhere in there. Actually, probably maybe half a year, more like it. And while I began attending this church, and I was hungry for God's word, I was hungry for truth. I wanted nothing but truth, the truth of the Bible, to be led by the spirit of truth. That's all I wanted. There were certain concerns that I still had, and I saw, and I read when I read the Bible, it didn't seem to match up to me. And there's th- certain things that I was being taught and I never really, while I was so excited, I never really got comfortable, per se, or settled into this Baptist church. And there is reasons why, you know, I've actually, I finally ended up leaving the Baptist church, and here is why. So in the fall of 2019, for the first time, I learned about the real, true Sabbath of God's fourth commandment, which was Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, which is, you know, God's a, a, a biblical day in the Bible is sunset to sunset. It's not midnight to midnight. That's just something that man has come up with. But a biblical day is sunset to sunset. So when I first learned about the real Sabbath, which I thought was Sunday for until I learned about it, I just thought we go to church on Sunday because the Bible says remember the Sabbath day, right? I didn't even question it. I didn't dig into it. I didn't study it. I didn't think about it. And then I met a Christian family at my workplace that mentioned the Sabbath for the first time. And that was the first time I heard of it. And so what do you do when someone brings you a question? You study the scriptures, you search it out, you search out the matter, and you ask questions. You go into the Bible and you go, God, and you pray to God, please, what are you saying here? What, you know, what are you, um, I want to know the truth. Like, is this, is this something? Is this, this guy is just 
you know, crazy. Why is he mentioning the Sabbath on Saturday? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Um, this guy must be crazy, but I wanted to know the truth. I wanted to dig in the Bible. I wanted to understand what God was saying, not what my own preference was, not what, because I don't want to, who wants to, really, who wants to change when they're getting comfortable in something? That's kind of why it was hard, a hard thing for me to leave the apostolic church is because so comforting. You have this fellowship and this communion in this uh, family that you're so close with, but it's comfort that you're leaving and it's a change, which is hard. But uh, my inclination, I didn't want to leave. Why would I want to leave? But as I studied into it with, I say, intense interest, because that's truly what it was. I was so intensely studying and focusing on what God wanted. And I just wanted the truth. I just wanted, God, please lead me where you want me. If you want me, I, I, was, I wanted to be obedient. Whatever God's word says, I want to be obedient. And so in the spring... When I was questioning these things in the spring of 2020, I brought these questions about the Sabbath to the pastor of my Baptist church, where I was still attending. And he didn't know how to answer them, per se. He said I had good questions and that I was touching or digging into something he did not have the answer to or he was not well-versed in. And he, he kind of made it sound as if I was touching something that was either really, you know, sensitive and uncomfortable or uncharted territory. It, it, it was very interesting. It sounded as if he had self had questions about it and he wasn't sure how to go about it and answer my questions. So it was really interesting how that went about as well. Um, but he, you know, he, I remember him saying, you know, he's like, those are good questions. You know, those are good. And I, every time I was like, you know, I went, I would go to him after the service on Sunday I would go with my Bible and I would point to scriptures. I'd be like, well, why does it, you know, what does this mean? Like about the Sabbath specifically, why does it say this here? What is he trying, what is it trying to say? And, you know, I was asking him because I wanted to know. I was like, you know, how come it says this here? How come it says this here? How come it said, you know, so on and so forth. And then I had, um, you know, I think maybe I went this, did this three or four times. I went maybe four, I don't know, three, four, five, five times I went after after church up front to ask him about this. And then I remember um, going to the youth pastor about this, asking about the Sabbath. And I remember him saying things like, we are not under the law and quoted half of the scripture in Romans, in the book of Romans without giving context or reading the next verse. And that was interesting to me. That was like, hmm, something, why is he just reading a tiny sliver of the verse, but not reading anything else? And that's what he did. He read you are not under the law and didn't say anything else when in fact i knew this was not right and i knew that the bible said what should we say then shall we continue in sin continue to break god's law that grace may abound god forbid i knew that romans said in romans 6 1 and 2 it said <clears throat> you know we don't continue in sin just because um you know just because god has given us grace no god forbid and and I, so I came to the realization that, okay, the Sabbath is something that I have to be obedient to. The Sabbath is something that's true. It's in the Bible. It's in the Word of God. And it's on Saturday. And it's the seventh day of the week. It's not the first day. It's not Sunday. It's not tradition. It's, it's biblical. There's biblical jurisprudence for worshiping on the seventh day of the week. 
And it's not what we want, it's what does God say? What does God's word proclaim? What does God's word say how we should worship him? And this, what I realize is, yes, the seventh day is the Sabbath, and it is Saturday, and we should be worshiping on Saturday, specifically because, again, the fourth commandment says, not because I said, no, God says. So God revealed to me, this was a huge thing, it was a I mean, it's a completely different day. He revealed to me that just like I left the First Apostolic Lutheran Church, I had to leave this church. And I also learned that while, you know, there's other false doctrines of this Baptist church and just Christianity as a whole, modern Christianity as a whole, right? Not biblical Christianity, but the modern church, you know, whether it's Baptist or Lutheran or Methodist or... um. Mennonite or Amish or Lestadian or whatever it was, um, Pentecostal, there was false doctrines that I, I realized. Things like once saved, always saved, which is predominantly Baptist, eternal life and hellfire, state of the dead, natural immortality, pagan holidays like Christmas and Easter, the secret rapture, um, the Sunday Sabbath, etc., etc. Et um, so I'm just going to go through a few of those Christian doctrines, those a few false Baptist slash modern Christian doctrines, and I'm just going to use the Bible again, not me, not my opinion, but let the Bible speak for itself. So the first one, okay, I mentioned the Seventh-day Sabbath. So a false doctrine within, yes, also the Apostolic Church, but also the Baptist Church and most of the churches that are scattered upon our land today is the false Sunday Sabbath. Attending church on Sunday is simply a tradition. It's not a command of God. On March 7, 321 AD, Constantine was the first to command all to rest on the day of the sun. And just because it was from antiquity, meaning super long ago, thousands of years ago, does not mean it's holy and it's sanctified all of a sudden. It does not mean that because this was instituted so long ago that we should be keeping it. Again, the seventh day of the week is Saturday, not Sunday. Sunday is simply a it's simply a tradition that is passed down from generation to generation. And it's so ingrained and so rooted within our society and our churches that people don't even question it. And when you question it, you're going against the grain. And when you go against the grain, that's something that you shouldn't do. But God says... In Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. In Luke sixteen seventeen, And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. And one tittle is like a dot above an I or the cross of a T in the letter T. So it is easier for heaven and earth to pass. Clearly, heaven and earth are still here. You know, if we look around, heaven and earth is still here. And it's easier for that to go away and to pass away than for one tittle, one dot of the law to fail. And Romans 3.31 says, Do we then make void the law through faith? Do we get rid of the law because we have faith now? Of course not. God forbid Yea, we establish the law. When speaking of when Jerusalem would be destroyed in 70 AD, 
which was 35 years after Christ had died and risen from the dead, Jerusalem was was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD by Titus and his army. But during this time, Christ warning uh, Christ gave a warning to the Christians in Matthew chapter 24 when this would happen, this event would happen in 70 AD. Matthew 24, 20 says, But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. So he was telling Christians 35 years after, uh, you know, about th- you know, 30, 35 years after Christ had died and risen to not, you know, pray that your flight from Jerusalem when this happens is not on the Sabbath day. And Jesus kept the Sabbath and was Lord of the Sabbath. And he is our example. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue and on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And Matthew 12, 8 says, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Going on, The apostles, the Jews, and the Gentiles that became Christians kept the Sabbath, which showed the law of God written on their hearts. Acts 13, 42 and 44. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached unto them the next Sabbath. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. In Acts sixteen thirteen, and on the Sabbath we went out to the city, went out of the city by the riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. Acts seventeen two, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. And lastly, in Acts eighteen four, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So it's not just the Jews Paul's trying to reach here. People will say, well, yeah, Paul became a Jew to the Jew and a Gentile to the Gentile and a heathen to the heathen and so on and so forth. But in that context, again, and he reasoned with the synagogue in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. The Greeks were going to the synagogues initially for the Sabbath. They were worshiping on the Sabbath day. It wasn't just the Jews. It was also the Greeks who wanted to be Christians because they knew that the law of God wasn't done away. They knew that obedience is simply a fruit of salvation. And some will say that keeping the Sabbath of the fourth commandment is legalism. And you'll hear legalism be brought up a lot among people as a some sort of, you know, whatever they albeit good intentions or not, whatever, right? They say, oh, it's legalism. It's, you're, you're, you're legalistic without giving any scripture to back up what they're saying. But I ask you this. If the Sabbath is legalism, is it legalism to obey the sixth commandment and not murder? Is it legalism to obey the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother? Is it legalism to obey the second commandment and not have any idols or graven images? Is it legalism to obey the Eighth Commandment and not steal? Is it legalism to obey the Ninth Commandment and tell the truth and not lie? Is it legalism to obey the Tenth Commandment and not covet? And finally, is it legalism to obey the Seventh Commandment to love your wife and not commit adultery against her or lust after another woman? If I want to be obedient to the Seventh Commandment and I don't want to lust, I don't want to commit adultery, I don't want to watch porn, I, don't, I want to love my wife, I want to love my spouse. Is it legalism to do so? Because the seventh commandment commands it? 
Of course not. But people say it specifically for the fourth commandment because it is a very specific, sensitive area that Satan has used for millennia, for decades, to get Christians to forget. It's the only commandment that God says to remember. Remember the Sabbath day to keep holy, not forget. He says to remember. Now, of all the things that the Jews were accusing the apostles and the early church of, not once was it ever about the Sabbath no longer being a requirement. And we, plus, people, and some people will say, ah, oh, there's all these rules and regulations. No, it's simply from a place of love. We deal with obedience on a daily basis. For example, traffic, driving your car, putting on your blinker, a stop sign, a stop light. There's common obedient things of obedience that we deal with just in our, like just in our, when driving a car, you have to, you follow rules, you follow regulations, you follow things, laws of the road that have been put in place for your safety, that have been put in place for a purpose. You stop at a stop sign for a reason, to be safe and to look who's, if there's someone coming from the left or the right. You put on your blinker courteously to remind the person behind you or in front of you that where you're turning. You follow these things and you don't even question them. You don't, you don't say these things are they're too hard to follow. You, you don't say that, you know, stopping at a stoplight is too hard for me to follow. It's just legalistic. It's, I can't, I can't do that. There's just rule. But no, there's a specific purpose why God has his Ten Commandments. They're, they're a law of love. It's love. It's liberty. So, moving on. I'm just going to read this story. I had just finished preaching on the subject of the Sabbath in one of my evangelistic crusades. As I stepped off the platform to greet the people as they left, three young men blocked my way in the aisle. One of them addressed me in quite a loud voice, loud enough to cause about 50 people near the front of the auditorium to stop and listen. Brother Joe, he said, we were disappointed tonight with the way you put us back under the old covenant. Don't you realize that we, were, that we are living under the new covenant now and should keep Sunday instead of Sabbath? Instead of the Sabbath? Although most of the congregation were leaving the building, the group near the front gathered closer to hear all that the young men were saying. It was obvious that I would have would have to take the time to answer this trio's challenging question. As I suspected, they turned out to be young seminarians in training at a local Bible college. Eagerly, they held their Bibles in their hands and waited triumphantly for me to answer. Usually, I do not like to debate controversial matters in a public forum, for fear of stirring combative natures, but there seemed no way to avoid dealing with these ministerial students. Anyway, they had my path completely blocked, and the circle of listeners looked at me expectantly for some explanation. Well, well, it seems as though you have studied on the subject, the subject of the covenants quite deeply, I suggested. Oh yes, they affirmed. We know all about the covenants. Good, I replied. You undoubtedly know when the old covenant was instituted. One of them spoke up quickly. It was started at Mount Sinai. And how was it ratified? I asked. Without a moment's hesitation, one of them answered, by the sprinkling of the blood of an ox. Very good, I commented. And how was the new covenant ratified? All three chorused the answer, by the blood of Jesus on the cross. I commended the young men for their knowledge of the scriptures and asked them to read me two verses out of their, out of their own Bibles. Hebrews 9, 16 and 17. For where a testament is, 
there must also of necessity by the, be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Note, ask any lawyer and they will tell you that a person's last will and testament can be changed at any time while the person is alive. However, once the person is dead, their last will and testament is ironclad and unchangeable. Once Christ died on the cross, his new testament became sealed permanently permanently by his blood and is unable to be changed. Basically, if Christ didn't change the Sabbath before he died, it can never be changed. Galatians 3.15 Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be a man's covenant, yet it be confirmed. No man disannulleth or addeth thereto. They responded eagerly to the invitation and read the verses, commenting on each one after reading. We agree that the new covenant did not go into into effect until after Christ died, and nothing can be added or taken away after he ratified it on the cross. The spokesman's spokesman for the group asserted. All three nodded their heads emphatically over this point. I said, now you must answer two more questions for me. Here's the first one. And you did, and you must think carefully to give me the correct answer. When did Sunday keeping begin? There is a moment of shocking silence, shocked silence, and then another and another. The boys looked at each other and then down at their feet and then back at me. I gently prodded them for the answer. Surely you can tell me the answer to this question. You have known all the others and have answered them correctly. When and why do you think people began keeping Sunday? Finally, one of them said, We keep Sunday in honor of the resurrection of Jesus. I said, Then I must ask you my last question. How could Sunday keeping be part of the new covenant? You just stated that nothing could be added after the death of Christ. He died on Friday and was resurrected on Sunday. If Sunday was added after Jesus died, it could never be a part of the new covenant, could it? The three young men shuffled their feet, looked helplessly around, and one of them said, We'll study into that and talk to you later. Then they fled from the auditorium as fast as they could. I can assure you also that they never returned to talk further about the covenants. And then another, so another important important point comes up about the Sabbath. Well, what about ignorance? What about those in the past? What about previous Christians who did not truly know about the Sabbath day, or other truths for that matter? God made our hearts, and he alone can see and know the human heart. He alone can see whether or not someone is truly ignorant, that if they have no idea, or if they are willingly choosing to not follow his commandments. 1 Samuel 16.7 says, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. We are not to trust our own hearts and feelings. We are to trust in God's word alone. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So when you hear people say, trust your heart, follow your heart, that's not what God's word says. God says to follow his word. Psalm 119.205 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We're supposed to be, we, we are supposed to be following the Bible, which is the word of God, and it lightens our path. It shows us where to walk, where, what to choose, what decisions to make, who to marry, who to, 
where to move, where to live, all of these questions in life, we can bring them to God and go to his word and ask for wisdom, ask for an answer, ask for discernment, and he will lead us and guide us in every single thing, every single thing. Sorry, one Psalm 119 should be 105, not 205. I just noticed that said 205. Sorry about that. If someone did not truly know about the fourth commandment and they didn't have light or understand or understanding to accept or reject it, God sees that they do not know in their heart. God judges righteous judgment. If they never knew, how can judge judge them according to if they have known? Because act, God winks at our times of ignorance. Acts 17.30 And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere, all men everywhere to repent. So when you truly don't know the Sabbath is Saturday from sundown, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, if you truly don't know and you're going to church on Sunday, God's not going to judge you. He's not, he knows that you don't know. He sees your heart. He knows that you're worshiping God to the best of your knowledge and the best of your ability which is precious to him. It's precious to him that he knows, even though even though there's something that's wrong in his word, he still sees past that because you truly don't know about it. Just like in the Bible where Jesus, when he speaks to the people, he says, before he came, you had a cloak for sin. But now once, he's, now once he spoke, now once the gospel is preached and Jesus was speaking, that cloak, there's no more cloak for sin. There is no more covering for your sin. Now you're aware of God's commandments. Now you're aware of the Sabbath. Now you're aware of certain false doctrines and you're expected to follow after the light. You're ex God expects you, once you are no longer ignorant, to follow after the light that has been given. But before you have that light, he can't. you're not expected to because you're ignorant. You do not know. Now, another false doctrine in the Baptist church is the doctrine of once saved, always saved, or always, once under grace, always under grace. M meaning, once you come to Christ, once you're born again, you can never fall away from the faith. You can never lose that salvation. But this doctrine is unbiblical. It, people will take a couple verses here and there and to say that this is true. However... I'm, there are so many verses, but I'm j I just picked a handful. Second Peter two twenty, uh, chapter two verses twenty to twenty two, states: For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse within with them than the beginning, for it had been better for them to to have known the way of righteousness, then after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. If this was the case, if one saved, always saved was true, the angels would be still saved. Satan would still be in heaven. The demons would still, there, well, there wouldn't be an issue. They'd still be in heaven. They'd still be saved. However, this is not true. One third of the angels sinned against God's law. They followed Satan and followed his, his influence, his pride of his heart. 
and they were cast to the earth as a result of their disobedience, as a result of their sin. They were not kept in heaven because once they were created, once they knew God exists, once they believed, once they were saved in heaven, they weren't, they're not still in heaven. No, they were cast to the earth because of their sin. Because they, by following after the wicked one, who was before called Lucer, Lucifer in heaven, his angel name, but now called Satan, they broke God's law, they sinned against God, and therefore, as a result, God cast them down. Second Peter 2.4 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Adversaries. This verse is not talking about if we make if we happen to make a mistake when we are born again Christian. This is someone who willingly turns completely from the truth, blaspheming God. The whole, all, everything, the whole nine, whole nine yards is falling after Satan becomes a Satanist. This is not someone who, who makes a mistake and confesses and repents of that sin as a Christian. This is different. But if we sin willfully, if we follow after we have received the knowledge of the truth and walked in it, God says that there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a fearful looking of judgment. Now, in Revelation 3, 4, it says that we can be blotted out from the book of life. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name of the book of, out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels, implying that your name can be blot, blotted out of the book of life. And Ezekiel 3, 20 says, again, we read this verse earlier, but it applies very much so. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered. But his blood will I require at thine hand. And Psalm 125.3 For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Iniquity is known sin. Iniquity is willingly sinning. Luke 9, 62. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Hebrews 6, 4-6. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made man, uh, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Now the danger with this doctrine is is it's preaching a peace and safety message. Basically, it's. The dangerous thinking, you're completely fine, you're good, you're everything, you know, you don't have to worry about being, you know, you don't have to worry about being obedient, you don't have to worry about sinning, you don't have to worry about, you know, following God's word because I'm saved. I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm saved. If once I'm saved, I'm always saved and I can never fall from grace. Like Satan, he clearly fell from grace. If I'm, if I, you know, if I'm saved and I'm always good, what, what, why would I have to, well, 
would I have to pay attention to God's word? Why would I have to obey God, what he says? It creates a false peace and a dangerous position for those who believe this doctrine. Moving on. Another thing that um, was a false false understanding, you know, false teaching in the Baptist church was the misunderstanding of who is Israel. Many, many people, whether it's Baptist church or, who, you know, regardless of who it is, will say that Israel, the nation Israel itself, we as Christians are not Israel, but we're, we're the dispensation of the Christian church and the nation of Israel. Those are completely two different, two different things, which is true but it's half, it's half correct, right? The, the literal nation of Israel are not the people of God anymore because they rejected Christ. They rejected the Savior when they crucified him on the cross. They proved themselves, as Paul says, unworthy of eternal life. They judged themselves unworthy of eternal life, as Paul waxed bold, it says in Acts 13, right? Um, and he said, Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. God prophesied in Genesis 49.10, that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh, who is Christ, shall come, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And Hosea 2.23 says, And I will sow unto me, sow unto her, sorry, let me restart that, and I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God, speaking of the Gentiles. The Gentiles received the gospel and are and are and were and are partakers of the new covenant in Christ. This happened in first with Peter and Cornelius in Acts ten. And in Matthew twenty one forty three it says, Therefore say I unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And Acts thirteen forty six, then Paul oh, I was getting ahead of myself, I didn't forgot I put this verse in here. In Acts thirteen forty six, then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye have put it from you, and judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. And Jeremiah 31, 33, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law into their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Speaking of Gentiles, anybody who puts their faith and trust in Jesus. And again, fulfilled in Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 10. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people." For I will be merciful un to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And Hebrews 10, 
um, you know, reiterates the same thing. But the Bible actually says, yes, the nation, the literal nation of Israel is no longer God's people. However, Christians are God's people. So spiritually, we are Jews. We are Jews inwardly. We are Israel spiritually. Romans 2, 28 and 29 says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Okay, as Christians, circumcision is that of the heart. We are Jews inwardly, not literal this, you know, a, the literal seed of, of the Jews were spiritual Israel. Romans 9, 6 through 8. Not as though the word of God hath taken on effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall they seem to be called, that is, they which are the children of flesh, these are not the children of God, speaking of the Jews, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Galatians three twenty six through twenty nine, for ye all, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you, as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's. Then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. The Bible says that the children of the flesh are not the children of God. Like I said, literal Israel, the Jews, the Jewish nation. If you are Christ's, you are counted as Israel. You are the children of God, and the promises of God are yours in Christ. As 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Okay, so as Christians, we are not the literal nation of Israel, no, but we are Israel spiritually. We are God's people. The Baptist Church also, along with modern Christendom, believes in a doctrine called the natural immortality of the soul. In other words, most believe or think that when a Christian dies, they go immediately to heaven and the soul is naturally immortal, or, you know, immediately to heaven or to hell, right? That's what they believe. However, this is unbiblical. What does the Bible say happens when we die? Psalm 6, 5, For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? Psalm 146, 4, His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. Isaiah 38:18 For the grave cannot praise thee death cannot celebrate thee they that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth Ecclesiastes 9:5-6 and 10 For the living know that they shall die but the dead know not anything neither have they any more a reward for their memory of them is forgotten also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun Verse 10, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Psalm 13, 3, uh, consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. 
Psalm 115.17, The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. John 11, 11 through 14, 23 and 24. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. In verse 23 and 24, Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know there's many, many verses on this subject, but again, I just chose a handful. I mean, we I could go on and on, but chose a handful, so I'm not here for, you know, super long. I know it's quite a long video already, but um, going on, John 5, 28 and 29, marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. And they that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Again, um, there is re two resurrections. Okay, when we die, we, go, we lie in the grave and we await a resurrection. Either when Christ returns, the resurrection of life or the resurrection of the wicked, the resurrection of damnation. Job 14.12, So man lieth down, and riseth not, till the heavens be no more. They shall not awake, nor be raised out of their sleep. 1 Corinthians 15.20-23, But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order... Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. And so, I guess, um, the Christians are resurrected at Christ's coming. They don't go to heaven immediately when they die. They're resurrected from the grave at Christ's coming. And uh, going on, Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory, which is heaven. And finally, the final verse I picked on this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and 18. <clears throat> and 18. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So it's pretty clear the dead are just that. They're dead. They're not thinking. They're not, um, they can't, they have no thoughts. They, have, they don't realize what's happening. They're basically asleep. They have no perception. They're not conscious. Conscious, they, they don't realize they're dead. They're just that. They're dead. They're awaiting the resurrection, one of the resurrections. Okay, they don't go to heaven. They don't go to hell immediately. And they don't go to purgatory. They're awaiting the resurrection of life or death.
If they're Christians, they're waiting the resurrection of life. But how did um, the lie that we go to heaven immediately when dying get started? Well, it comes from uninspired punctuation. For example, here is two situations of punctuation. A woman without her man is nothing. And a woman without her man is nothing. Punctuation is quite very important. Now read this, Luke twenty three forty three. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now this has created countless contradictions and issues that pop up in the scriptures because this comma has been placed in the wrong place. The comma should be after today and read it again with the comma in the right place and that it then matches with the testimony of the scriptures. It matches from Genesis to Revelation what the Bible says about what happens when we die. It's not a contradiction. It's just the one simple comma has been placed in the wrong place. This is how it should read. Luke 23, 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee today, Shalt thou be with me in paradise? Where the comma is placed, like I said, it creates many contradictions. Here are just a few, just only three of them, which they're more. But it, again, besides the fact that it goes against the testimony of the scriptures, here's three more. Jesus died on, on Friday. The thief on the cross died the next day after sunset because they left him upon the cross. But Jesus, they brought down before sunset. So it couldn't have been the day, that day they were both in heaven. He would have lied to the thief on the cross. Point number two, Jesus died and was in the grave for three days. He was not in heaven nor risen from the dead. He wasn't in heaven that day, or the next day even, or the day after that, because he was still in the grave, and the third day he finally rose from the dead. In point three, Jesus told Mary in John chapter 20, verse 17, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended. Again, Jesus was not in heaven yet, and even when he did arise from the grave, it was, not, it was still a while until he ascended to heaven. It wasn't immediately that he rose from the grave and immediately ascended to heaven. He would have lied to Mary again. And so that's one of the areas of where the lie got started when people people saw this verse and like, Verily I say unto thee today, shalt thou be with me in paradise. They see that, but they don't see the other scriptures that talk about what happens when we die and they get confused and they mix it up. Now, one of the final points one of the other reasons I left the First Apostolic and the Baptist Church was this as well, is God calls us to come out of Babylon. Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth that Revelation chapter 17 verse 5 speaks of, is the great whore that sitteth upon many waters and sits upon a scarlet-colored beast. And this is in Revelation 17 uh, verse 1, 3, and 5. As the Bible says that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, and this is in 2 Peter 1.20, we can't put any own our own opinion, our own interpretation, our own thoughts, our own definitions on what the Bible says. We must let the Bible and the Bible alone define itself for us. The Bible defines itself perfectly with scripture, with comparing scripture to scripture. Not us saying, oh, I think that means this, or, oh, I think that should mean this. No, the Bible tells us exactly what symbols are. So according to the Bible, and the Bible only, a beast in the Bible 
in Bible prophecy is a kingdom or a nation. And we find this in Daniel 7, 23. It says, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom. And in 1715, it defines what waters are. The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And as for the symbol of a whore in the scriptures, an obedient group of God's people are, are called virgins, as Paul says. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 11.2, I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And every, most people know that the church is often called the bride of Christ. That's pretty well known and a common thing. And um, it's called that, we're called the bride of Christ in Revelation twice as well. And, and this name was also in Amos called the virgin of Israel. In Amos 5.2, God calls the church the virgin of Israel. However, when Israel was unfaithful, she was called a whore and, or a harlot, you know, committing abominations and committing sins and following after other gods. God said to them, Thou hast played the, har the whore also with the Assyrians. Thou hast played the harlot as Ezekiel 16.28 says. And likewise, when a Christian church turns from God, she is also called a whore and a harlot. Thus, because of this, the Bible says, Babylon is the symbol for an apostate Christian church. This is why God calls his people to leave them and to come out of them. We are, God calls us as one, one of his final messages to the world to Christendom, to churches, to Christians, to everybody, is to come out of her. And these who come out of her are they which are not defiled with women, which in Bible prophecy are churches. So these people who come out are the people who are not defiled by their churches, for they are virgins, because those who choose to come out of these um, fallen churches, they are those which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And you can find that in Revelation chapter 14, verse 4. And again, like I said, God calls us to come out and to leave the fallen apostate churches that scatter the land, whether it's Lutheran or Baptist or Methodist or Amish or Mennonite or um, Pentecostal or what have you, non-denominational, what have you, God calls us to come out of those corrupt churches that have corrupt doctrines, who have become the habitation of devils, who have become every un, uh, cage of unclean spirit. And this is found in Revelation chapter 18, verses 1 to 2 and 4. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon is fallen and is fallen and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. In verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. And we see this, God is pleading with his people. His people are those who come out of the fallen churches, who come out of false doctrines, who've come out of modern Christendom, this false system of religion. He calls us to come out and to be separate. God says to be ye separate in the Bible, in Corinthians. Yeah, Judah and Jerusalem are symbolically Christians. 
who this can also be applied. Yes, it applied to Judah and Jerusalem specifically in Jeremiah's day, but it can also symbolically apply to Christians. Will be destroyed because of sins and iniquities. And Jeremiah 7.34 says, Then will I cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, which is Christ, and the voice of the bride. For the land shall be desolate, Jeremiah 25.10 says, Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the candle. Now, when God speaks of Babylon, he gives them certain characters, certain things that he mentions, he gives us, he reveals who Babylon is in Revelation 18. He, get, he lays it out in the Bible for us to understand. He tells us who Babylon is so we can come out, so we can leave them. And he says that they've fallen from what they used, they used to be. They used to be pure. They used to be holy. They used to be followers of Christ. They used to do things that were right in the sight of God. And this is how God describes. Okay, so, And in Revelation, in, pro, in Bible prophecy, candlesticks equal churches. Symbolically, they mean churches. The church's lights have gone out because of sins and iniquities. Revelation 1.20 says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. In Matthew 5.14 and 16, speaking of the church, God's, you know, the disciples, God's followers, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a basket, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And we know that the bridegroom and the bride, we know what those are symbols are, right? John 3.29, And he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which is John the Baptist speaking, which standeth and heareth him, rejoicing greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And Matthew 25, 10 and 11 says, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came, <clears throat> afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And the word Babylon itself means confusion, and it's a mixing of truth with error. It's a mingling and a combining of paganism and Christian doctrines. It's confusion. You can't have the truth, the truth of God, you know, you can't mix truth with error. There is no lie that's of the truth, it says in 1 John. I believe it's 1 John. There's no lie that can be of the truth. It's either truth or there's error. And truth. You can't have 90% truth and 10% error. The, the leaven leavens the whole lump. That leaven, of, um, that leaven of doctrine that ruins the rest of the lump. It ruins the rest of the... It, it makes it corrupt. You, you need to have pure doctrine. You, know, you need to have pure principles of, the, of a Christian. You can't have a 10% or 5% error. And it's just confusing. You're just mingling and mixing things. And that's why going through all these characteristics, Revelation 18 reveals these things to us. 
It says, And the voice of harpers and musicians and pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee, and no craftsman in whatsoever craft he shall be, he be, shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee, and the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all of thee, at all in thee, for the merchants or the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. So it's pretty easy to see that the Christian church has fallen because of sins. The Christian church has fallen because of iniquities, from false doctrines, for rejecting God's law, for rejecting and falling in teaching and proclaiming lies that come from Satan, doctrines that are doctrines of demons. But when we bring these things up, what do Christians say? Again, Jeremiah, this is in his day, but we can use the scriptures. We know that all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness. And this applies symbolically to Christians in the last day. Jeremiah 69 through 12 says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will cause to cease out of this place in your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. And it shall come to pass, and thou shalt show this people all these words, and they shall say unto thee, Wherefore hath the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then shalt thou say unto them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, saith the Lord, and have walked after other gods, and have served them, and have worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law. And ye have done worse than your fathers. For behold, ye walk every one after the imagination of his evil heart, that they may not hearken unto me. So we brought to view the Christian church, and the mother the mother of harlots, the whore of Babylon is the Roman Catholic Church that has daughters that follow their, her, her doctrines. And they're all grouped together as this phrase. They're called Babylon, these fallen churches. God calls the church, the modern Christian church, Babylon. And he calls us to come, he calls last day Christians to come out from the corrupt system of Christendom to come out from the corrupt system of Christianity or proclaim Christianity when it's not Christianity. It's Babylon. It's confusion. He calls us to come out from among them and be separate. And those who do God's will will enter heaven. Matthew seven twenty and 23. Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And iniquity is lawlessness, is violation of the law. It's committing sin. Where these people thought, because they were casting out demons, because they thought they knew God, they said, Lord, Lord, these are Christians. They're thinking they're doing wonderful works in God's name. They're thinking they're doing all these things for God. And yet God's, yet Jesus says unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, those who are working iniquity, who are sinning willfully, 
were breaking God's law willfully. So, now what? Now that we know these things, the point is to heed God's messages, to heed, to listen to the Bible, to heed the final messages of God's mercy and to leave Babylon, which consists, like I said before, of the mother church, the Roman Catholic church, who is the whore of Babylon, who is mystery Babylon, who's written on her forehead, and her daughter churches, who are the fallen Protestant and evangelicals, evangelical churches who follow after her, and to follow the light that God has given in his precious word, and in his precious word, Please warn others, tell others, share this video, comment, leave a comment, leave um, whatever. Let scripture, at the end of the day, let scripture alone be your final authority. Don't let your pastor or your minister or your teacher or your, don't let your pastor be your final authority. Let the word of God alone be your final authority. And we read the word of God with a Never read the Bible without praying and asking for God's Spirit to lead you before. Please always pray before reading your Bible. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for understanding that His Holy Spirit would help you to understand. And let Scripture be your final authority. Let the Jesus be your final. Let the rock, let everything land upon the foundation of Scripture and upon the rock, which is Christ. And Hebrews 3.15 says, while it is said today, while it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. I know there's going to be some people that hear this, that listen to this, that see this, and they're going to harden their hearts, and they're going to go, nope, what he's saying is not right, or nope, I'm not following that, or whatever, what have you, whatever it may be. Please let the Bible be your final authority. Listen to the still small voice. Do not, if you hear his voice today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Become born again, become changed, fall after God's word. Because Jesus is coming so soon and he wants us. And he's pressed this upon me so heavily because he wants his people. He wants everybody to get ready and to prepare my heart, to prepare your heart, to prepare everybody's heart. So they are ready for what's coming. So they are ready for his second coming. And they're ready for the prophecies leading up to a second coming. He's preparing us to meet our God. He's preparing us as a people, as a church, as believers, to meet our King Jesus. But we have to be ready. We have to heed his final messages. And part of his word, part of being obedient to his Bible is following what the Bible says and leaving Babylon and leaving the fallen churches because of the sins, because of the false doctrine, because it's a cage of unclean, unclean, every unclean and hateful bird. It's a cage of nothing but false teachings and doctrines and things that aren't true, mixing truth with a little bit of truth in there, but yet it has error, it's mixing and you have, if you have any questions, if you have any comments or concerns or prayer requests or just a question about the Sabbath or a question about being born again or, or baptism or a question about, you know, more about my testimony, like more details about how I was born and raised and how, how that looked, like you want even more detail or whatever it may be, please, please let me know. 
feel free to reach out to me. I would love to talk with you and we can learn together. We can grow together. Please let me know. My I left my email here, biblicalunfound at gmail.com. Um, just please reach out to me, whether it's Facebook or YouTube. I'll please leave comments and um, whatever you need, prayer requests, please let me know. I'm available with anything you need and I'm here as a brother in Christ to help you with whatever that may be. So please, um, please reach out if that's, you know, if you're pressed to do so, please reach out to me. And I'm also going to be making another video about um, the mark of the beast and what the mark of the beast is and how what the, what the Bible says about that as well. So stay tuned for that. I will be posting that hopefully soon whenever God leads me to post that as well. So again, thanks for listening. Please um, let the Bible and the Bible alone be your final authority and trust in God and his word. He never fails us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's such a kind father to us, and please just trust in him. Time is so short. God, Jesus is coming back so soon. Just prepare your heart before him. He loves you, and he cares for you deeply. And with that, thanks for listening. I'll see you in the next video. All right, God bless.